Well, good morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Bethany, as Chris introduced. That video there kind of sets us up for what we're talking about this morning. Uh, some of you have been around the church a while. You kind of kind of connected maybe who that is. Who is that? John the Baptist, uh, modern-day telling of a passage we're going to look at. Uh, why don't you turn there with me now, Matthew chapter 3, uh, verses 13 to 17. And as you're turning, page 801 in the Bibles in the seats in front of you, we would say if you're using that Bible, it might be because you don't have one. Uh, we'd say take that one home with you. Uh, and as you're turning, I, I got to start this way. I got to share this because this might be the last week that I can say this. Right now, there are three teams undefeated in the NFL. Three of them. One of them is not from Philly, but one of them is from Miami, huh? How about that? I got to say that today because I just got to get it out there. I've been a Miami Dolphins fan a long time, and I may not have any other weeks to say that. Today's going to be a tough day, but hey. I'll take it while I got it. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, 13 to 17 is the verses. Look at John the Baptist. Here's where we're going to look at this passage. This is um, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, uh, and I'll introduce you to him in a minute. Uh, he is, he's going to baptize Jesus Christ. And the reason we're going to look at this passage is because this passage tells us a lot about what baptism is and why it's important. I think because it does that, because a lot of times, if, if I were to walk through this room right now, say, I mean, there's 200 people here in this room, and I were to pass a mic around and ask the question to you, what is baptism? And you answered and passed it on. Until we got through 200 people, I'm going to guess we're going to have 50 to 75 different answers on that one question. It's, it's a religious thing that we do. It carries a lot of emotion. There's a lot of sentimentality. But a lot of times, we just ask, what is it? And we're like, well, and we got all kinds of different answers. But when you look at why Jesus gets it's baptized, it's significant because think about some of the things where you may have heard about baptism. Maybe you're familiar with the old um, song, Down to the River, right? And that, that song elicits this picture of baptism as the washing or cleansing of sins. I'd ask the question, does Jesus need to have his sins cleansed? Uh, maybe you think of baptism, maybe not so much as the cleansing of sins, but maybe you attach with baptism words like conversion, eternal life, um, salvation, getting there one day uh, and not going there. And so you think about baptism that way. And I'd ask this question, if that's what baptism is, is that what Jesus needs? Uh, maybe this one, this is a tradition I grew up in. I grew up in a tradition where baptism was tightly linked to church membership. Matter of fact, our church baptized, if you were baptized and then you came to come to our church and wanted to be a member of our church, they actually made you get re-baptized in that church to say, this is now where I belong. Uh, maybe some of you come from a Catholic background where the, you follow through your catechisms and end with baptism or sprinkled as a baby or the Greek Orthodox and say, man, now... I am in this faith tradition. Does Jesus need church membership? So as we think about this, this passage, I think, is very significant because it gives us a lot of insight as to what baptism is. After all, Jesus did it, so what was Jesus doing it for? He's going to answer the question. Now, his answer is um, cryptic at best. It's classic Jesus. If you read the Bible at all, Jesus at times gives these answers that are black and white, but yet very gray at the same time. And there's one of them's here. But we're going to step into it, read it, look at it. I think as we engage this discussion, we'll really grab some insight as to what baptism really is all about. Verse 13 starts out this. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. 
Uh, pause right here. John is a guy, if you go back and read through Matthew, read through other parts of the Gospels, John is a guy uh, who is a prophet. A, per, a prophet is a person who comes to pr- declare and say, I'm coming to speak for God to you. Uh, John's direct mission, as you kind of heard in that video in a modern way, John's mission was to prepare people for Jesus, to kind of pave the road, to get people ready to receive Jesus Christ as he comes onto the scene. So verse 14, but John, so Jesus shows up, but John tries to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said, so why are you coming to me? Now here comes our answer. Here's why Jesus was, why baptism was important to Jesus. But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So God, John agreed to baptize him. So whatever was in that answer, it, it satisfied John. He says, okay, let's go forward with this. So what's in the answer? Well, the answer is you look in the New Living Translation. There's a lot of really good Bible translations out there. New Living is just one of them. Uh, the New Living says, um, we're going to re- do all that God requires. So God requires baptism, so I've got to do this thing. Uh, the Probably better translated. Matter of fact, the New Living gives a little asterisk there. You look down in the bottom column. It actually says, or for we must fulfill all righteousness. So you can look at it and you say, okay, God requires baptism. I've got to do what God requires. Or you say, well, it's to fulfill righteousness, which I think probably links back up to verse 11, where John is saying, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave or carry his sandals. So I think probably what Jesus is doing is linking up to say, I am that righteous one. And, but again, it's kind of cryptic. And, and again, you can get into all kinds of discussion on this. And I think in the discussion, good discussion, we miss some clarity. Continue reading, and I think the passage gets even clearer and really points to an identification of who Jesus is. Verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, settling on him. So maybe you're new to church, but if you've been around the church world, you sometimes see churches that put doves on their signs or in their, in their buildings. And what is this deal with a dove? Well, the dove is kind of a picture of the Spirit of God, and so this, this dove descends. And then verse 17, and a voice from heaven said... A voice from heaven, like think like a megaphone getting out and just shouting this thing down. A voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. This, he says, the voice from heaven who we believe to be God the Father. This is my dearly loved son who brings me incredible joy. Now that's baptism. I want to unpack that with you. That statement right there is baptism in a nutshell. If you allow me to unpack it, let me start by asking this question. So people are going to be coming up here this morning. The first person getting this water is a young man by the name of Dakota. Dakota's going to come up here. You're going to hear his story read in a minute. He's going to get in this water. He's going to go down in the water, and he's going to come up. When he comes up out of the water, can you picture this being said over Dakota? Let me ask you this question. If you're here this morning and you are, have put your faith or trust in a person of Jesus Christ, can you picture this being said over you? Now, as I think about this question, if you've grown up in a Protestant tradition or maybe an evangelical church, maybe either of one of those and kind of that faith tradition, you will say, yes, I know that God loves us. I know it. I've studied it. We preach about it. We talk about it. We sing about it. But I want to push even deeper. Look at the second statement. Yes, okay, so God loves you, but do you know that he, you bring him great joy? 
In other words, what, you're really, what he's really saying is, I'm so glad you're here. We have a, um, a basement that we call our scary basement. Do any of you have a scary basement? Right, some of you got scary basements, right? There's, our basements are scary for different reasons. My basement is scary. It's, the house is 110 years old. Um, and when you, my wife has done a phenomenal job uh, kind of making our home our home. And we walk in, we're like, yeah, this is home. And it really feels like home to us. Um, and, but you walk into our basement, and our basement, and the floors are uneven. It's so old. And, and you, first you step on the steps, and the steps like kind of move. And it's like, am I even going to make it down alive? And you get down in there, and then, you know, we've laid rugs and carpets out to try and cover up the ugly floor. And, and the walls have been sprayed with, I don't know what it is, I'm not a builder, but it's got this stuff on. I'm told it's like a waterproofing insulation deal. And uh, the, the beams are all open. It's a low ceiling. It was not meant to be lived in. I can tell you that, but we try and live in it. Uh, it's our space um, where our kids go to play Fortnite on that screen right there. Our boys are uh, big into that. And hanging above our TV, you can kind of see the, the um, ceiling there. And you can kind of see the sign that's hung here. So this is a sign Tanya would have had. So a lot of Sometimes our decor in our basement is stuff that's been retired from other decor upstairs and it shifts downstairs. And so this kind of gets put here and there. See this big hole? There's a big hole right there uh, that we just kind of hang this sign over it. Uh, now, I was sitting in our basement um, one uh, this past year in a, in a dry season. I'm wrestling. I'm struggling. I'm sitting in our couch that's facing uh, this. And there's actually signs of some tears in my eyes are damp. And I'm, um, I'm wrestling. And I'm journaling. And I'm praying. And I'm reading the scriptures. And I'm wrestling. I've always wrestled with the love of God. I'm a pastor. I've been to Bible school. I study the scriptures. But for some reason, the love of God, I just, it eludes me at times. Does God really love me? And I'm sitting there and I'm wrestling and I look up at this sign. It's really its main purpose is it's been retired from upstairs and covering up a hole. And I look and it's like I hear God say to me, I'm so glad you're here. Can you imagine God saying that to you right now? I am so glad you're here. That's deeper than love. That's far deeper than the commitment of your your good. To have that person in your life, and maybe some of you have experienced it from a human perspective, a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or a coach or a teacher, that when you're in their presence, you just sense, they're glad I'm here. That's what God speaks over Jesus, and I think he can speak over us. You say, but Adam, that was Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Well, if you allow me, let me connect this to baptism by going way back and telling you a story. I want to start with the beginning, and some of you know this story inside and out, but I want to start with it, and I will lead it right up to baptism. It's a story of the creation of mankind. God creates this magnificent world. I mean, picture just the, the most beautiful floral trees and trees that are producing nuts and gorgeous birds and, and fish and all these animals and dinosaurs and picture this beautiful world that's created. And on the sixth day of, on the sixth day of his creation, he takes some clay. My name is Adam. The first man is Adam. It means red earth. So he took clay and begins to form and mold and, and then he breathes into him the breath of life. Adam is formed, and then he makes Eve, comes out of Adam, and says of this that mankind, Adam and Eve, you and I, are created in the image of God. If you think about this, this is a powerful, mind-blowing statement. See, we've got two guinea pigs that run around our house. Maybe you've got dogs, or we also got a fish. Or You think about all the rest of creation. My guinea pigs are not created in the image of God. 
Your dog does not have a soul. It's not created in the image of God. We are. What it means is I can relate to God in a way that no other part of creation can. You can too. You mirror him. You can sit with him. So this is Adam and Eve, and they're creating this perfect world. And, and God says to Adam and Eve, I want, I'm giving you this world. It is all yours. And there's a tree right over here in the center. Don't eat from it. I want to speak to some of you in the room a minute. If you're like me, I took a detour from the church, and I ran far as I could. And my number one problem was the church, to me, did not foster life. There wasn't any joy and excitement. All I saw in the church was religion and rules. And sometimes as we look at the Bible, we see this all over the place. And I think we go to creation and we say, yeah, their God is given a rule, but don't miss this. I don't know why we focus on that one rule and we miss the gift of life. He says, this is all yours. It is everything here, Adam. Everything here, Eve, is yours. I just ask this one. And the one, the one rule, I don't even see much as it a rule. You know what he's really saying? It's the same thing he still says. There's really only one, and here it is. Trust me. Just trust me. Now, Adam and Eve, you guys know the story, right? Some of you know the story. Adam and Eve don't trust him. They grab hold of the fruit. There's a serpent that comes and tempts them. Eve bites in. Eve hands it to Adam. They bite in. Chapter 2, before they eat, says that they were naked and felt no shame. Now, I'm going to take a strong stab. If I grabbed one of you and brought you up here and, and you were had no clothes on, you're going to feel a lot of what? You're going to stun. I don't know, <laughs> Right? But it says as they added, in the perfect state, there was this magnificent relationship and union, and there's no brokenness and no darkness. There's no hatred. There's no jealousy. There's just connection with their God and with one another. Well, chapter three comes along. They eat of the fruit, and now they sow some leaves together, and they cover up. They sense and they know something broken that's inside of them now, and they, they feel this thing called sin, and God steps into the picture at this point and begins to talk to them. He pursues them. Now, he says to him, in essence, you guys were free, as we all are. We are. You're free, but we aren't free to, you may have said this to your kids one day, you're free, you just aren't free to pick your consequences, right? So God steps in, and he's going to dish out some consequences. What I find interesting is he talks to the serpent, he curses the serpent, but Adam and Eve, he does not curse. God is not cursing you. There's consequences, there's sin, there's brokenness. You experience death. We weren't designed to experience it. You experience sickness and ache and pain, but he doesn't curse you. He's for you. Now, when he speaks to the serpent, he says this, and he curses him, and he says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman, the woman. Now, scholars and theologians look to this, and they have this fancy name for this verse, and, and I'm gonna, it's, it's this looking forward to the message of Jesus. Whether this verse is that or not, I don't know. I believe it is, but I believe what we miss in this, if we get lost in it, is we miss the hope of this verse, so he says, I'm going to cause something to happen, and between your offspring and, the offs and her offspring, he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. In other words, you're going to take his heel out, but any of you who have played sports know you can still play on a bad wheel. You aren't effective, but it can happen, but you're going to, your head's coming off. So there's hope in this, and there's this foretelling, and there's this saying, Adam and Eve, you've experienced brokenness, but life is going to come one day. Now, I want to bring this to baptism this way. I think every one of you in this room, maybe not every one of you, there might be a handful of you that this is not true of, but I, 
I'm going to give even you the benefit of the doubt. I think every one of you in this room intuitively knows you are not as you ought to be. I don't think there's one of you that doesn't know that. You scroll, in your, you scroll in your social media feed and you can see a world all around you and you can begin to experience emotions inside of you that are dark and, and you're like, this is not as it ought to be. Or maybe it happens for you at the night when you turn the lights down, you lay down at bed and everything goes quiet and still and you're left to your own thoughts and you're inside your own head and you're like, it is not as it ought to be. We know this. We feel it inside of us. And we don't always know what words to put to it is the way the scripture calls it sin, but we know we're not as we ought to be. However, there's something else that's true in every one of us in this room, and I think most of you connect with this one too, at least maybe all but maybe a handful of you. We also know that we are made to transcend. In other words, the way the scripture says it is eternity has been written on your heart and my heart. You are made to live for something more than the here and the now. Every human being instinctually knows this. Yes, there's more to life. There's there's more to this thing. It doesn't end here. There's something bigger. And we work hard to transcend and make a difference. And what I find that happens is we try to fix our brokenness and we try to transcend and we bring the two together. And the way the scriptures say, we make this exchange and we begin to look to things. So, for example, we say, okay, I'm going to fix my brokenness and I'm going to transcend by raising really good kids. But it doesn't work. Man, you can get your kids to the right sport, the right extracurricular activity, get them into the right school. You can have the perfect family, the perfect home. And what I find, can I just say this, parents, in our child-centric homes, when you study right now, anxiety in children is through the roof. And some of it's because we're putting all this weight on saying, I'm going to transcend with my family. I'm going to fix what's broken in me by putting it on my kids. Others say, well, forget kids. I just want romance. You head home and, and log on or on your phone on to Spotify or iHeartRadio or listen to FM 97 to drive home and adult contemporary music. And you listen to these love songs. And there's this, this worship-like atmosphere saying, my, you are my all in all. I give everything to you. You're everything that I need. And it's this, okay, okay, so the family may not do it, but sex and romance. And, and that's, that's going to do it. Others say, well, forget that. I'll take education, and and I just want to get the initials behind my name, or I want to get into the corner office or climb the ladder or fill my my trophy case up, or or I just want stuff that's going to bring me security, or I want health that's going to bring me security. We begin to chase these things to fix our brokenness, to help us transcend, and Jesus steps in and says, listen, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world And lose your soul. You gain it all. You've got the perfect family. You've got the perfect home. You've got the perfect job. You've you've won the Super Bowl. What does it matter if you lose your soul? See, we try so hard to fix that brokenness, to make that exchange, and there's only one person that can bear the weight of your soul. There's only one person that can fix your brokenness and help that eternal peace transcend, and his name is Jesus. There's a letter to a church in Rome, and in that letter, uh, the writer says this. He gets to chapter 3, and he says, all of us have sinned. See, first he starts out in chapter 1 and talks about that exchange that we make. I think it's chapter 2, all of us have sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. He goes on to write and says, you know what's really cool, though? While we were yet sinners in our brokenness, in other words, we didn't fix it. God stepped towards us in Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And then it goes on to write and says, and if we confess with our mouth that Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And it also says in, in, in Romans 8, it says if you do that, it says if you believe in Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And here's where we come back to baptism. He's given you a spirit of adoption. You're his son, you're his daughter. And this brings us right back to what was spoken over Jesus when he came up out of the water. Galatians chapter 3. The same writer that wrote this letter to Rome writes a letter to another group of people in Galatia. So they're the Galatians. So he writes to them, and he says this, in chapter 3, verse 26 and 29, he says, For you are all children of God. How do you become a child of God? Through faith in Christ Jesus. So all of you, if you want to be a child of God, you do it not by getting bat, not by getting wet in baptism, not by going to church, not by giving your money, not by helping the poor, not by, you know, scrubbing up your language, not by reining in the sexual addictions that you have, not by reining in the other addictions that you have, but you do it by faith in Jesus Christ. And when you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're God's child and all who have been united with Christ in what? What's it say? In I want to be really honest, some of some scholars, you go home and study this or Google the definition of this, some people will say, well, that's what's called spirit baptism, uh, and this is water baptism, and make this big distinction. I don't want to get lost in that this morning. I want to look at the word baptism and see that there's something to this word that's significant. So even if this is talking about spirit baptism, water baptism is still a picture of spirit baptism. So all that said, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ... You've put him on, and he's going to draw an analogy. He's going to give a picture, like putting on new what? Clothes. Now, I mentioned earlier, if I'd start, you come up here with your clothes off, you're going to remember at the end of Genesis, um, you get nervous and feel shame. Some of you are getting a little nervous right now. I'm going to take this off. I'm getting a little nervous too. I want to give you a picture of this. I say to kids all the time, one of my favorite things to do is to, I, I believe this, if you can't make a truth make sense to a child, you can't make a truth make sense. So I love to say to a child, if, if you think you're a teacher and you can't teach a child the basic truth, you probably don't know the truth or you're not a teacher. So I love to say to kids all the time, I love to say to kids, look at kids all the time and say, what is baptism? And they talk it out. I say, here's what it is, guys. Let me, let me put it down this way to, to a child's like language. How many of you can have it right here in the front? How do you guys play sports? Do any of you play sports? What sports do you play, Landon? Soccer. So Landon plays, Landon's going to get baptized in a little bit. Landon plays soccer. Why does Landon wear a jersey? Someone said it. Landon wears a jersey, so number one, his team can identify him as a teammate. Landon wears a jersey so that when mom and dad are looking out there, they can tell which team is which. Landon wears a jersey because he's saying, in essence, I am on the team. This is me. I'm identifying myself. So come back here and look at this passage. For all of you are children of God through faith in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. I become God's child. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. 
There is no longer, look at this, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. These are all these division words, and we have it today, black and white, male and female, rich and poor, um, and all this division. He says, no, no, no more, because when we look in now, we see Jesus. All of you are one, all of you are the same, for you're all one in Christ Jesus, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children, here's this children word again, of Abraham. You are his heirs. Now, when my dad passes away, I'm probably not going to get a lot. But man, to be an heir of the living creator God of the universe? So this is what it really is, is what baptism really is. It's, 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 think of it this way. When God looks down at Adam, if I've put my faith and trust in Jesus, and he looks at me, I have new clothes on. So he looks at me, and he doesn't see Adam. Who does he see? Jesus. Now, I'm not saying I'm Jesus. My kids will tell you otherwise. They know full well that I'm not. But you look at me and they say, there's, I look down and I see not Adam, but I see Jesus. And remember what God spoke over Jesus when he came up out of the water? What did he say? There, right there is my dearly loved son. And you bring me so much joy. I'm so glad you're here. So what baptism really is, it's a picture of that. It's, it's, it's Landon and Dakota and Mackenzie and others that we had um, in first service. And here in this service, they get in the water. They're coming out of the water. It's like this picture of saying, there is my dearly loved son. There is my dearly loved daughter. And they bring me so much joy. And that same thing can be true of every one of you. That's the beauty of baptism. That's the gorgeous nature of it. Is, is the scriptures teach, there's a brokenness, there's a, there is, and you're going to transcend, and we all hunger to fix this, but the reality is you can't fix it. But you are going to transcend. You're going to live forever. So the invitation of baptism, here's what I want to invite you to this morning. You're going to watch this morning um, those in blue shirts like this with on the team right across the back. They're going to watch them come up, and they're going to bring a red card like this. And that red card, you already see four up there from first service. is going to get stuck on that cross. The reason we do that is because of this first verse. And for all, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ. We just want people to remember it's not this water. It's not getting wet that ultimately leads a person to relationship with God. It's not this water that gets a person to heaven. It's what happened on that cross 2,000 years ago years ago is God's body was broken for you and I, and then he was buried and rose again three days later. That, my friends, is what brings you eternal life. That is what fixes the sin problem. That is what makes us a child of God. So as people come up, we stick this on the cross just as a visual reminder. It's not this tub here that does it. It's what happened there and their faith and trust in that. And then you're going to hear their story read. And you're going to hear their story of how they, how they journeyed, how, how, how they put their faith in Jesus and what led them to that decision. And then they're going to get wet and come up out of the water. As they come out of the water, may I invite you, if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm a Christian, or maybe you call yourself a Christ follower, disciple of Jesus, or whatever word you put on it, a believer, whatever word it works for you, I want to invite you this morning to have your faith refreshed and rechallenged and recentered. I want you to just sit back and remember, okay, I put my faith in Jesus, and that means as he looks down at, God looks down at me, he says, I'm so glad you're here. I am so glad you're here. May this experience do that for you. 
And may you celebrate. And I want to just say, first service, I love that. Man, when they come up out of the word, cheer and do your thing. I don't, it doesn't need to be that they sit on our hands and all formal. This is exciting stuff. Get excited about it. Now, if you're here this morning, you say, well, Adam, I'm not quite sure. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Can I invite you through this time to listen to their stories, push in? And here's the questions I want to leave you with. What are you doing with your brokenness, what the Bible calls sin? What are you doing with it? Do you really recognize and wrestle with, can you really scrub it all away yourself? Second thing, that piece inside of you that screams and aches, it says there's more to life than the here and the now. What are you doing with it? Are you medicating it, pushing it away? Are you stepping in and saying, okay, what does that mean? What do I do with that? And who is Jesus? Wrestle with that this morning. He's very real to these, and you're going to hear their stories. He's very real. Is he step in and push in? And here's a cool thing. It's this simple. It's simply saying, my sin, I'm going to confess it, and I'm going to own it. This transcendence and eternal life, I know that I'm going to move in the direction of eternal life by turning from my sin, repenting, and trusting Jesus to take me to that place. Only he can bear the weight of your soul. It's not a magic prayer walking out. It's just, just a simple trust. So I encourage you to step into that as well. Um, but again, as they come up out of the water, <laughs> what we're really saying with baptism, I'm on the team, I'm in the family, God looks down, he loves, and he, he is wild about you. That's what we're celebrating. So that said, let me pray. Uh, you're going to watch a short video, and then we're going to jump into this thing and, uh, and celebrate. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. That baptism that Jesus went through when you spoke from the heavens, here's my dearly loved son who I am so pleased with. God, I think of another letter in Ephesians when it speaks of your relationship with us. You've chosen us. You've adopted us. You've called us. You've, you've brought us into a family, and, and you've done it for your pleasure, your joy, your enjoyment. God, thank you. Thank you that you're a God that's wired us in your image to connect with you, to relate to you. And God, I pray for every person in this room right now that has their faith in Jesus, whether they've, they've grown cold or, or whether they're, man, they're, may this morning really ignite something fresh in them as they celebrate what you're doing in the lives of those that are going to be up here in the stage. God, for those here in this room that may question and wrestle with um, who Jesus is, who God is, do they really have eternal life? Are they saved? Is this stuff even real? God, would you, through these next 10 minutes, God, would you become so real to them that they can't possibly ignore? God, open their hearts and eyes and mind in a way that they are so clear that it's you. And God, may they take a step of faith in your direction. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. God, thank you so much for Jack and Dakota and Mackenzie and Landon. Um, God, and, their, and Jake and their faith as they step forward. God, thank you for their courage, their boldness. And God, thank you, thank you, thank you that you speak over them. This is my dearly loved son and daughter, and I'm so wild about him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.